Hello, my name is Steve Brown, and I'm the worship leader at Vintage Faith Church. At Vintage Faith, we believe the Word of God is what changes and transforms a person. We hope you enjoy the next 30 to 40 minute sermon of the Word of God being proclaimed and explained. Enjoy the message. Good morning, church. Um, I'm here to help out Anthony this morning with announcements. Um, We've got a busy weekend here next weekend. Uh, The men will be meeting next Saturday, the 27th, for a time of fellowship and teaching. So that's Saturday, the 27th at 9 a.m. right here. For all the men, all men are welcome and encouraged to attend this monthly meeting to get to know one another and to be strengthened in the word. And next, I'm excited to announce a new Christmas tradition that will be unfolding here at Vintage. Um, You've probably heard of Advent. Um, Maybe you've seen the little calendars at Wegmans and all that fun stuff you can do over the Christmas holiday. I know Thanksgiving didn't happen yet. I get that, (laughs) but we're getting ready. Um, But Advent is something that I came across when uh, my children were growing up, um, and I struggled with the presents and the Santa and all that, so I I tried to refocus my own heart um, towards what Christmas was actually about, and in that time I came across the almost 2,000-year tradition of Advent. And it has changed over the years, obviously, in form, but it's remained steadfast in its purpose. Um, So just a little background to make you familiar with what we're going to be unfolding over the next couple of weeks. Um, Advent, the word Advent is derived from the Latin word Adventus, meaning coming. And originally the season was tied to the second coming, of Christ, which we've all been anticipating since he was taken up into the clouds following his resurrection from the dead, as the book of Acts records for us, Acts 1, 8 through 11. And the earliest Christians were anticipating Christ's return with great fervor, and they were fasting and praying. Um, But as the years went by and time ticked on, the focus of our hope in Jesus' return and the practice of fasting and praying, it changed over time. And Christians began linking it to his first coming, which we know as the birth of Jesus. Um, We we celebrate Christmas. Um, So it's created one big season, which looks back, but also looks forward. Um, And this traditional season that leads up to Christmas has continued for hundreds of years as a beautiful reminder that God did come in the flesh, but also that he's coming back. So... In summary, Advent is a church tradition we're hopeful will reorient our hearts towards worship during a typically very busy and distracting time of year. There's no magical power in its implementation, but there is power in the Holy Spirit, which indwells us, um, the gathered saints, and there is power in the Word of God, and so we trust and believe that God will use this time to work in our hearts and to move in us and through us as we seek Him together. So... We welcome you to join us. It's going to kick off next Sunday, November 28th. Um, Anthony is going to begin with an Advent series, a teaching series that's going to last four weeks leading up until Christmas. And Steve's been working on songs. And, uh, but next Sunday, right after service, we want to offer everyone the opportunity to create your own Advent wreaths here at church. We'll supply all the materials for that, and it should just be a fun time out in the foyer Similar to like the Christmas boxes that we did, was it last week or the week before? I don't remember. Um, You can participate in this as a family, as a couple, or individually. We're going to give you everything you need to begin this tradition on your own at home if you desire to do that. We'll offer that right after service next Sunday. Um, You can make your wreath and we'll send you home with a little cheat sheet on how you can do that at home with your people. Um, at your leisure, at your time, um, like we did in our home. Um, But if you're not feeling up for that, we also will be having it here at 5 p.m. So we'll have regular worship service um, here in the morning, but then you can come back at 5 p.m. and we'll do a little Advent devotional together. Um, We'll be leading that here, and this is where we're asking our church family if you wanted to join in our family, in our little tradition. So I hope that all makes sense. Um, Please feel free to ask me any questions you may have. I do have some invites that I created for us to share, well, for you, but also if you wanted to share, if you have somebody in mind that you'd like to invite, um, please 
you can take an extra to give to them. Okay, thank you. Good morning, if you have your Bibles handy or your scripture memorization handy. Together we're looking at Hebrews, <clears throat> book of Hebrews. I'm reading chapter 1, 1 to 4. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins... He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we, many of us come in here anxious, from our weeks, anxious, looking to the weeks ahead, the days ahead. Some have come in here maybe even arguing with a spouse or with a child or a parent. Lord, we confess we, we are distracted, um, and we just ask that you, through your word, that you center our hearts on you, as we just sang, that even though our sins are many, your mercy is more. And help us to really take hold of that truth. That no matter what any of us in here have done, no matter how bad that we think we have outsinned the grace of God, there is no doing that. That your mercy is more than our sin. Help us as we hear your word, Lord, to receive it. Um, we pray that, that you are exalted, um, that you will stir in our hearts as you are exalted so we can worship you. Pray this in your name. Amen. So we, uh, we are done with the, the last sermon series, Made in His Image, and we will be starting Advent next week. Um, so we're in kind of a, a free week every once in a while. Uh, I get a week that's not planned, and, and a lot of times I get excited, like, okay, this has been on my mind and in my heart, and, and I want to talk about that. But th this week, um, it's more of a, I want to use the week to set up the Advent series in a way, and, and I want to talk about Christ. In particular, Christ as the ultimate prophet, Christ is the ultimate priest, and Christ as the ultimate king. So we're going to look at that through the passage that Evan just read. Let's put that up there again on the screen and look at that passage once more. Long ago, in many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So what I want to show you today from this passage is how in this passage, um, the writer of Hebrews is unpacking that Christ is our ultimate prophet. He is our ultimate priest, and he is the ultimate king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Um, Raymond Brown uh, says this about the book of Hebrews. Christ does not break with the great Jewish past. He comes to bring it to fulfillment. Without him, the Old Testament revelation is partial, fragmentary, preparatory, and incomplete. God spoke it at different times by different means, 
He used many and various ways, but in Christ, he spoke fully, decisively, and perfectly. Fully, decisively, and perfectly. And that's why the the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, in the past, God spoke through the prophets. Think Isaiah and Ezekiel and Malachi and Jonah. But now he's speaking through his son. That's why they're There are no modern-day prophets, big P. They they don't exist. Christ is the fulfillment of all the prophets. When Jesus was arguing with the Pharisees and and the Gospels, and, and they're trying to get him on points of the law, he says to them, you search the Scriptures because you think that in the Scriptures you have eternal life, but you don't realize those Scriptures bear witness about me. This is what Jesus is saying. All Scripture bears witness about him. And I want to look at today that that the Old Testament offices of prophet, of priest, and of king, and how those are all finally and decisively fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So if you're a note taker, that's, that's where we're going. We're going to weave in and out of some things, but that is it. That's the the goal of, of the sermon today, and, and I think that's going to inform us in our next uh, four weeks in Advent as we look at Christ from the Old Testament and the prophets and, and the priests and the kings in the Old Testament. We're going to just be informed that, hey, Christ is the fulfillment of all three of those offices. So let me take you back into the Old Testament for a minute and kind of paint, paint a story for you. God's people have been delivered from the Egyptians. They went through the sea. God parted the the Red Sea and, and, and through the wilderness, he actually fed them with bread falling from heaven. These people have seen miracle after miracle after miracle. They have seen the mighty hand of God continue to move and move and move. Yet they still wandered. They were too afraid to take the land that God had given them. So it took them 40 years. Actually, God was waiting for all the disobedient uh, people that he had delivered, that, that whole generation. He was waiting for them to die off in the wilderness. So we here we have the new generation. They're sitting on the edge of the promised land. They've been talking about this promised land for 40 years. They're sitting on the edge, and Moses gives this sermon in the book of Deuteronomy. And at one point in the sermon, he is going to prepare them for these three offices. He is going to talk about kings, he's going to talk about priests, and he's going to talk about prophets. He's going to give a word of warning and a word of encouragement. Let's go to Deuteronomy 17, 14 to 15. Israel does not have a king at this point. When you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. You may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose, one from among your own brother, your brothers, and you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. And Moses goes on to talk about, hey, be careful. You put a king over you. If he starts acquiring a lot of money and a lot of horses, be concerned. And that'll actually connect to to Solomon. Uh, We're not going to go there today. He continues with priests. And he calls out the the priests. Deuteronomy 18.1, The Levitical priests, all the tribe of Levi, shall have no portion or inheritance with Israel. They shall eat the Lord's food offerings as their inheritance. So he goes on for a chapter, and we're not going to read it in here, and he talks about priests. And he continues. And then he begins to talk about prophets. 
When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of them. So he goes on to unpack prophets. These three offices, when you read the Old Testament, are front and center in just about every book. Prophets, priests, kings. They're all working together. They are the shepherds of of Israel. They are the shepherds. All three offices are the shepherds of Israel. So what I want to ask and what we're going to unpack today is how do these three offices relate to Jesus? How does Jesus fulfill all three offices, prophet, priest, and king? And the bigger question is, why does that matter for any of us? Why does that matter for you? Why does that matter for me? Why does that matter for our understanding of who Jesus is, our worship of Jesus? Does it have any relevance? All right, let's begin with the prophet. Hebrews 1, 1 to 2, the first portion of 2. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So if you have any familiarity with the Old Testament, you know that, that the prophets, they usually receive a word from God. It's, it's a little different than, than how the church is operating today where, where we have pastors that study and then we, we read the word of God and we preach the word of God. The prophets would receive word directly from the Lord, directly from the Lord. And they would pronounce judgment. They would predict future events. Many times they were just calling God's people, back out of sin. Stop doing what all the nations around you are doing. Stop it. Get back on track. God is calling you to this. That's most of their content is going to be that, unpacking the law of God, calling Israel back to following God through the law. They also comforted the people. Many times they comforted them with the coming of the Messiah. They would say things like, my paraphrase, I know things look bad, I know it's dark, I know you, you, you look like there's no hope and you're, you're wondering where I am, but I'm coming. I'm coming. One is coming. The Messiah is coming. They would say many things along those lines, predicting the future coming of the Messiah. Ezekiel 3.27, this is a a sample of of a prophet receiving a word from the Lord. But when I speak with you, that's the Lord talking to Ezekiel, I will open your mouth and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God, he who will hear, let him hear, and he who will refuse to hear, let him refuse, for they are a rebellious house. So the prophets would always, they would start when they, when, they went, when they heard from the Lord and then they were given this word to Israel, they would say, thus saith the Lord. That's the constant refrain of the prophets all throughout the Old Testament. Thus says the Lord. They were speaking on behalf of God. They had a direct word from God unmistakably direct word from God. Not like, hey, I was in my quiet time and I think the Lord is speaking to me. No, God would take them, take them up to the throne room and they would fall on their knees and he would say, go say this. Very different from today. If you ever hear anyone say they're a prophet today in the church, run. Run. God has spoken. He has spoken through his son. In these last days, he has spoken through his son. And the prophets were anointed. They were anointed with oil. Oil poured over their heads. We have an example here in 1 Kings 19, verse 16. This is going to be actually an example of a king and a prophet being anointed. 
And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elijah, Elisha, the, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. So again, if you have Old Testament background, you, you can remember like the prophets, were, they were set aside, oil pour, poured over their head, the kings were as well, and so were the priests. These three offices were anointed. And we use that word in Christian circles today sometimes, like, oh man, I heard that, that speaker, he was anointed, or um, we, we use that, but in the Old Testament, that word is used to God saying, this is, this is my man right here, he's going to be king. Or this is my man, he's going to speak my words. Or he's going to be a priest. It was directly from God, from the word of God. And you have this rhythm where the prophets are just, they're hearing from the Lord, and they're going out and they're speaking to the people. And they're saying again, things like, turn away from your sin, turn back towards God, he's good. You know the law. We've given you the law. Why are you not obeying the law? And the prophets were beat. They were thrown in pits. And they were killed. People of Israel did not have much patience for the prophets of Israel. In fact, we find in Acts 752, when Stephen is given his famous sermon, he's about to be killed. He's given a sermon talking to the, to the Pharisees, and he's talking about Jesus as Messiah. He's about to be stoned, and he says this, which of, the father, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed. And murdered. And there's many instances of this in the Bible. God raises up these men to speak his word, and the people of God say, I don't want that. Get out of here. Shut up. I want a prophet that's going to tell me everything's okay. I want someone to tell me I'm going to be rich. I want you to tell me I'm going to, I, I, I'm going to be healthy. I want you to tell me that God loves me and that he's fine if I'm over here in sin. I, that's what I want. That's what Israel wanted. So they killed the prophets. They killed the prophets. And they loved the false prophets. The false prophets were, were their prophets. They loved the false prophet. Oh, speak a word to me. Tell me. There's instances in the Bible where, where they just wanted to hear, hear a word. Tell me things are going to be okay. Tell me things are going to be okay. And Israel had what we would call itching ears. This is nothing new. This is, this is let's cross the bridge right now to, to today's church. The most popular, hands down, most popular speakers, preachers, teachers, churches in the United States are prosperity, gospel, teaching, Churches that you're going to go in there and they're going to tell you, you're going to be, everything's going to be okay. Have enough faith. Just claim that. Claim health. Claim money. Claim goodness. Itching ears. Itching ears. In fact, Paul tells Timothy in the New Testament, he says, For the time's coming when people won't endure sound teaching. They're not going to endure it. They won't want to hear it. This is, again, nothing new. This was Israel. This was the prophets in, in Israel. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Now, when you read that, there's no day like today where you can actually accumulate teachers. You can go online, you can go on YouTube, you can go... Uh, podcast, I listen to many teachers. We can actually accumulate teachers and we can find within the Christian stream and Christian faith someone saying something what we that we want to hear. We can find it if we want. So the admonition in Acts 7 
Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? That We should be thinking about that today as Christians, okay? When we're hearing the word of God, is it, is it challenging me? Is it calling me out of my sin into goodness and life? Or am I only hearing part of the gospel? Am I only hearing how God loves me? Which is true, but a part, half gospel is a false gospel. A half gospel is a false gospel. So we have this issue in the Old Testament with the prophets. You've got false ones, and then you've got the good ones that God raises up. Israel's just not, I don't want to hear that. So the prophets couldn't do what they were intended to do, but we have this faint echo in the scriptures of hope. In the book of Deuteronomy, Moses, God says to Moses, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And if you fast forward to the Gospels, in the book of John, when people see Jesus, they're asking this question, There's, is, this, is he the prophet? And that's what they're going back to. They're going back to Deuteronomy because they had been waiting for the prophet. Not just another prophet, the, the final prophet. They were waiting for him. And when they saw Christ, they were wondering, is this the prophet? And we all know Christ is way more than a prophet, but he fulfills that office perfectly. And we're going to look at that at the end of the sermon. Prophets give the revelation of who God is to the people of God. Now we're going to go to priests. Priests help reconcile God's people to God. I'll show you where this is in our text, Hebrews 1.3, just a, a piece of it. After making purification for sins. So Jesus made purification for sins, which is what priests would do. From Genesis 3 in the Bible forward, there's a unique problem with humanity and God. If you remember in Genesis 1 and 2, God is walking with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. He's walking with them. But after they eat the fruit and they are exiled, there's a major problem with humanity. How does sinful men and women approach a perfectly holy and just God. Didn't have that problem in the garden. There was no sin. But now, after the fall, everyone is in sin. Everyone's born in sin. We're sinful to our core. And God is holy. So there, there's, a, there's a tension there. And this is, this is the sacrificial system. This is the temple, the tabernacle. This is Jesus. It's all there in the Bible to deal with this one issue, sinful man, holy God. Because if we're honest and we look in our hearts and our minds, we know, and if we're honest about who God is and who God um, claims to be, we know that there's a chasm between that that can't be crossed. Not by our good works in any way. There's nothing we can do to become right with a holy God. You cannot live a life good enough. If you're in here and that's kind of like, hey, I'm not really listening to you, pastor. I, I, I live a good life. There's nothing you can do to cross that chasm. There is no work you can do. In fact, Job, when he is struck with, with all the, the plagues, um, the, the, the skin disease and loss of, of, of loved ones. He's exploring this idea of a holy God. And he says in, in verse not, or chapter 9, 32 to 34 of God, he says, He is not a mere mortal like me that I might answer him, that we might confront each other in court. If only there were someone to mediate between us, someone to bring us together, someone to remove God's rod or discipline from me, 
so that his terror would frighten me no more. So here we have Old Testament. You've got Job, and he wants to talk to God, but he's like, I can't talk to him. I need some mediator. I need someone in between me and God that's that person that I can talk to, that person that can talk to God. Job is crying out for Christ. And he doesn't, he can't name him, but he's crying out for Christ. I need a mediator between me and the Lord. I need a priest. That was the job of the priest. The priest, their job was to go to God on behalf of the people. It's actually the opposite of the prophet. The prophet went to God and preached God's word to the people. The people, the priest was with the people, knew the sin of the people, and went to God and said, take this offering. They have sinned. I have sinned. Take, take my offering. It's the prophet and the priest are doing two different roles for the people of God. And like the prophets... The priests were anointed. They were anointed with oil. In Leviticus 16, 32 to 33, we see this. And we see that also that the priests are going to be making atonement for the people. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement. Wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary. He shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar. And he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. So again, here you see this, this word atonement. It, it's, it's the idea that a substitute has to die for the guilty. And all these Old Testament sacrifices, they were just dress rehearsal pointing to Jesus. Just pointing to Jesus. It was just getting it in the people of God's head that your sin requires something innocent to die for you. And that's atonement. And the priests made atonement. They would go into the temple. They would go into the Holy of Holies once a year with blood and make atonement for the people. But when we read the Old Testament, the, the priests failed too. Time after time after time, they weren't doing their duties. They were, they were twisting their duties. We can see this in Ezekiel. Ezekiel 22, 26. God, through the prophet Ezekiel, is pronouncing a judgment on, on the priests of Israel. He says, Her priests have done violence to my law, and have profaned my holy things. They have made no distinction between the holy and the common. Neither have they taught the difference between the unclean and the clean. And they have disregarded my Sabbaths so that I am profaned among them. So God institutes the prophets. False prophets raise up. The people don't listen. He institutes this office of priests. And the priests are kind of doing their own thing. But again, in, in Scripture, we have this faint hope throughout the Old Testament, and you hear things such as, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek in Psalm 110. This, this is God prophesying through the psalmist, saying there's a priest coming who will be a forever priest. And you have other instances of that in, in the Old Testament. And I would ask you this morning... Do you know that you need a mediator between you and, and God? Or is your version of God a God that doesn't have wrath, a God that doesn't have anger, and a God with no judgment? And I would just challenge you if that is your God, if you're in here and that's you know, the God that, that doesn't take sin serious, if that's your God, I would just nudge you a little and say, well, you, you, you might be close because he is a God of grace and a God of love and forgiving. His mercy is more. We sing about it. It's beautiful. But he's a consuming fire. You know, I was 
thinking Amy and I were having a, a discussion yesterday and you, the girls are at that point where they're driving now and uh, they're also at that point where boys are forever around. I, it's like we got a magnet on the house and just boys come to the house. I don't quite understand it. You guys that are further down the road than me, you can give me some tips. But, uh, you know, we were talking about them driving and... Uh, I wasn't going to share this because it could be taken wrong, but I will. But it, 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 I'm going to go for it. Um, so Amy, I'm doing the sermon yesterday and kind of working on it, and, and Amy's cleaning out the garage, and she comes and she finds this little mini crowbar, and, uh, and she's holding actually two of them up. And I'm like, why are you handing it? I, I thought they were railroad spikes actually at first, but I'm like, what, what are you doing with those? And all she, she just said, for the girls in the car. That's all she had to say, yes. Yeah, absolutely, and we'll teach them how to use it. But if you think about that, it's a funny little story to illustrate that love requires wrath. If, if you have children, and if, if mom or dad, and, and, and you're just like, oh, yeah, whatever, my kids, if they get into you know, a mess and, and they get hurt, oh, that's fine. No, no, you want to worship a God who has wrath and judgment. Otherwise, if you've taken that out of your picture of God, he's going to be tough to worship. It's going to be tough to worship a God that, that you might be stronger than and you might have more judgment and wrath. God is a God of mercy and love, but he's a God of judgment and wrath. And they, these two perfectly come together on the cross. Perfectly come together. God's mercy on the cross and his judgment. But his judgment fell on Jesus. It fell on Jesus. Your soul longs for a mediator. You need a sacrifice. All right, the third office in the Old Testament is the king. The king would rule God's people with truth and justice, and he would defend them. He would go to war for them. Um, let's see in our passage, Hebrews 1.3, this is where you're going to see the kingship of Jesus. So after he makes purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of the Father with all authority right now alive. Right now. Like the prophets and the priests, the kings were also anointed. You guys probably, if you, if, again, if you have Old Testament background, you know that when Samuel found Saul, what does he do? He, he dumps oil over Saul's head. When he finds David, he does the same thing. And David and Saul weren't like, they're not like, hey, I think one day when I grow up, I want to be king. I'm going to go to king school and I'm going to, no, they were just going about doing their thing. And next thing you know, Samuel's got a bottle of oil saying, you, king, you, king. And that's how the prophets worked and that's how the, the priests worked. God just said, you're mine, you're doing this. And we know Saul, Saul tried to, to hide. Saul didn't want that. So the, the kings were anointed with oil. But if you've read the book of Kings, and if you've read the book of Chronicles, you know that king after king after king after king failed. And we also know that so goes the king, so goes the people. When the king was following the Lord, the people were flourishing. When the king was doing evil, the people were struggling. All throughout the Bible, one king after another. We have an instance of it here in 2 Kings <clears throat> and again, this is one of countless same verses. In the 37th year of Joash, king of Judah, Jehoash, the son of Jehoahaz, began to reign over Israel in Samaria. And he reigned 16 years. He also did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Isn't this the story of humanity. Put a leader in place and the leader does evil. In fact, I think as humans, we 
love to make kings and make heroes. We love to idolize people and prop them up. And then when they do something wrong, we love to tear them down. All you have to do is look on social media to see that. Like one week, this person, all of a sudden, everyone's talking about so-and-so, and so-and-so is, is amazing, and, and they're, look at them, and then just give it a month or two, and then it's like, no, that person did something, tear them down. Human beings are naturally kingmakers. We naturally look to other human beings to, to kind of be this anointed one, this Messiah. And time and time again, human beings let us down. Jonathan Wesley reflects on this idea. He was in the, the chamber of the king in England. And the, the king of England is kind of a big deal, especially at the time of, of Wesley, a big deal the king of England um, was. And, and so Wesley's in his chamber, and he writes this in his journal. I, I've shared this quote before. I just I love it because it shows the, the utter um, foolishness of, of propping up human kings and, and men. Tuesday, December 23rd. I was in the robe chamber, adjoining the house of lords when the king put on his robes. His brow was much furrowed with age and quite clouded with care. And is this all the world can give? Even to a king, all the grandeur it can afford, a blanket of ermine round his shoulders, so heavy and cumbersome he can scarcely move under it, a huge heap of borrowed hair with a few plates of gold and glittering stones upon his head. Alas, what a bauble, which is just trinkets. It's like cheap trinkets. What a bauble is human greatness. And even this will not endure. Human greatness is nothing. And the Bible shows us that in the book of Kings. One king after another, not able to lead God's people because of sin. The best of men are men at best. That's J.C. Ryle. The best of men are men at best. But we also, with the kings, we have this faint echo in the scriptures in the Old Testament of this hope of a king who's going to come, who's an everlasting king and who will rule with perfect benevolence, kindness, and justice. Samuel is talking to David and he says, I will raise up your offspring after you. This is God talking through Samuel, who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. We have this also in Isaiah. It's all throughout the prophets. The prophets just keep on repeat. They're just banging this drum. There's a king coming. He's going to be perfect. He's coming, and he's going to be an everlasting king. So at the time of Christ, you have God's people. They're, they're looking for the Messiah. That word Messiah doesn't mean much to us today. It's the same word as Christ, Messiah, is the Hebrew word. Christ, Christos, is the Greek word. They both mean anointed. Anointed. Messiah, Christ, same thing. So when we think of Jesus Christ, you've probably heard this before, Christ is not his last name. Christ is the title. Jesus, Messiah. Jesus, anointed. And think back to all three offices. Every one of these offices, priest, prophet, and king, anointed with oil. They were anointed. They were set apart by God. R.C. Sproul says this. In the Old Testament, people were subject to anointing when they were called to the offices of prophet, priest, and king. The people of Israel looked forward to that promised individual who was to be not merely a Messiah, or a, an anointed, but the Messiah, or the anointed. The one who would be supremely set apart and consecrated by God to be their prophet, priest, and king. Jesus asked the disciples, but who do you say that I am? 
Peter answered with what is known as the great confession, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah or you are the anointed, the son of the living God. With these words, Peter declared that Jesus was the Christos, the Mashiach, and the anointed one. Jesus Christ is the anointed one who fulfills all three offices perfectly. Think about prophet for a minute and think about the beginning of the book of John. In the beginning was the word. What did the prophets do? They spoke the word to the people. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. So John is saying Jesus Christ is the word. In fact, in our, our book, our, our passage today, says he is the exact imprint of God, the exact imprint. So Jesus is the word made flesh, the word made flesh that dwelt among us. He is the ultimate prophet. His very existence is prophetic. And I would ask you this morning, if Jesus Christ is the ultimate prophet, are you listening? Are you listening to him? How do you listen to Jesus, his word? Are you listening? Are you obeying? Or are you like Old Testament Israel, where Isaiah said that you're ever hearing, but you're, you're never really hearing? Are you hearing the words of the ultimate prophet? Jesus Christ is the great high priest and, and also the sacrifice when John the Baptist saw Jesus walking towards him, he said, behold the Lamb of God. Not that Jesus is carrying the Lamb for the sacrifice. Jesus is the Lamb of God, the one, the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. And the Bible says he went into the Holy of Holies with his own blood, not the blood of an animal, with his own blood, and not the temple, which is a copy, but he went into the heavenly Holy of Holies with his own blood to, to buy you, to wash you, to be that mediator that Job was crying out, saying, Lord, I need a mediator between me and you. I can't stand before you. And that man is the Son of God, Jesus Christ the ultimate high priest. You know you can't wash away your own shame and your own guilt. We can try, and it requires a lot of suppressing. Only Jesus Christ can wash away your shame and your guilt, and you have to give it to him. You have to to be there and, and be open. He is gentle and lowly. He moves into your sin, not away from it. He is the great high priest. And of course, the one that we're, we're all most familiar with, he is the king of all kings. He's the king of all the kings of the earth. We don't really think about kings. We have presidents. He's the king of presidents. He's the king of CEOs who have billions of dollars. He's the king of kings. He's the king of every authority on heaven and on earth. They have to and will ultimately bow down and submit to Jesus. God has bestowed on him the name above all names at the at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. If Christ is your king, are you trying to be your own king? Do you think you have a better plan for happiness and joy than, than Christ has for you? Christ is a loving king. He's a good king but he is infinitely more serious about sin than you and I can even imagine. And he's infinitely more loving and gracious than we can imagine. When we think of Christ and when we, we, we read him in the scriptures, we're probably failing on both counts. Some of you are going to lean one way and, and others another. 
But I fear many of us have mixed the world's idea of Jesus with the Bible's idea of Jesus, and we've created an idol, which is no Jesus at all. When we make our own Jesus, we've lost the, the real Jesus. And, and I would submit to you, if that's you, and, and, and really if, look through the scriptures and be challenged by the scriptures, but maybe if you're having a worship problem, that's it. Because who can really worship and fall on our knees to a God that we've constructed? A Christ that we've constructed. Could be hippie Jesus, could be only all love Jesus. Christ is powerful. Christ is loving. I'm going to end with this. If you've seen uh, Chronicles of Narnia, the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, um, if you haven't seen it and you have kids, definitely watch it. It's, it's excellent. Uh, we, my kids grew up with it, all of them. And, um, in, in that movie, Aslan the Lion is symbolic of Christ. This is a C.S. Lewis uh, book. And there's a point where Aslan's kind of on the move and... and Susan and, and some of the kids who end up in Narnia don't quite know who Aslan is yet. And there's a lot of talk about Aslan the lion. And, and Susan says to, to one of the, the other character, Mr. Beaver, she says, Aslan is a lion? The lion, the great lion. Oh, wait, the beaver said that. Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. And Susan says, oh, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and no mistake, said Mr. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mr. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Jesus Christ is not safe, but he's good. And if you can see him for who he is, you're going to worship him. You have, you'll fall down on your knees and worship him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we... We love you, and, and Lord, I confess that many times when I, when I come to you, Lord, I come to you not giving you the proper exaltation, not giving you the proper reverence, assuming things about you that are not true. Lord, I just pray for this whole congregation that we can just begin as, as a family seeing you clearer and worshiping you out of that. Help us as a, a family as we sing this next song together to just worship you and our hearts to, to go out to you, the true prophet, the true priest, and the true king. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Vintage Faith Podcast. At Vintage Faith, our vision is to help people who are far from God to become totally devoted followers of Jesus. We pray that this podcast brought you closer to God. For more information, check us out at vintagefaithcicero.com.